reading this morning is along with our text for our speaker this morning. So it's 1 Peter chapter 1 into chapter 2. So if you would turn there, if you would turn there with me in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1. have a Bible of your own. Our ushers do have Bibles available. Raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. I'm going to read through chapter 1 into chapter 2 verses uh, through chapter 2 verse 10. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 1 going to chapter 2 verse 10. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for, the, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the sub subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they, they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And God give us understanding in this text has chosen for the preaching of God's word today. Would you bow with me in a, in a time of prayer? After prayer, a choir will come, and after a choir... Our speaker for today, Brian C. Kenner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. Your grace that's been extended to each and every one of us. Lord, I can speak for myself and say, I don't deserve another breath. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness, your love. But I thank you for each one of them. That you have loved me and showered your grace and your mercy and your love upon me. I thank you for that. So I thank you for each one here today, Lord. I pray that you would just give us a quiet spirit that we might hear your word today and be able to take in what you have to say through our speaker, your speaker today, and that um, you give us understanding in your truth. Lord, I pray especially for Brian as he comes. He hasn't been feeling well today, and I pray that you would just help him physically to... Um, to be well, to be able to speak your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would um, allow that message that you have given him to come forth regardless of, of his physical condition. I pray, Lord, that that message might come through for our sake and that uh, you might um, be with him as the uh, messenger, as the vessel, that you might use him and strengthen him and glorify yourself in the process. We do pray, Lord, also not only him, but we pray for his little son who had to go into emergency today, had a high fever. 
But we thank you, Lord, that we saw him come in today. We saw Heidi and, and uh, Jordan come in um, this morning. We thank you for allowing them to, to be well enough to be here. We pray you'll continue healing on little baby Jordan, that you would watch over and, and heal. And then, Lord, we pray for, for others in this, this congregation, Lord, that you would bless, that you would uh, heal, that you would um, provide for, that you would take care of, you would cause our hope and our faith to be in you, and that we live according to your truths and your words. Lord, we thank you for visitors and friends that are here today. And we, we thank you for uh, just impressing on their hearts to come. And now we pray, Lord, that your word would minister, that we would minister to them in such a way, Lord, that they would long for you and long for a fellowship that brings glory to you. And for this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Praise his name. God gave us a song and God gave me a word. Praise God. I praise God for the opportunity to preach. Praise God for my family for being here, for my little boy who made it through a rough night. He had to go to the hospital because he had a fever that was really high. My wife took him about one in the morning. She came back around five. She still made it to service. Praise God. She's faithful. She's faithful. You will never be ashamed of being faithful to the Lord. You will never be ashamed of being faithful to the Lord. You can never be too faithful to the Lord. Because God can't stop being faithful. He's always faithful. And the message that I have to you are God's keys to victory, his grace. We're going to talk about his grace in three aspects of what we see. What is God's grace? God's grace is what we get from God that we don't deserve. It's a rough concept to teach about in this day and age because we are so entitled these days. Right? People think that they deserve to get a nice job even if they don't got education. People think they deserve to get promoted even if they don't come to work on time. People think they deserve money from the government. They deserve my money and your money. And they don't have to work and they don't feel nothing wrong with that. And so it's hard to talk to this generation about grace so you have to start with the thought that you don't deserve nothing from God. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand God's grace. You won't be thankful when you get God's grace because you think you deserved it. It's not by works that we are saved, but by grace that we are saved. And what does grace mean? It means nobody can be saved by their own merit because nobody can work hard enough to deserve it. Nobody. So we must start there. That's why Christianity is about humility. God lifts up the humble, but he casts down the proud. Why? Because the proud think they deserve salvation, and the humble realize they come to God pleading because they don't deserve it. God only saves the humble. 
He doesn't save the proud. We have here in the book of 1 Peter a letter written by the man I consider to be the leader of the church. Peter, the rock. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. He was an apostle. And what was an apostle? Well, if you see somebody call themselves an apostle on their church, you can stop going to that church. Because an apostle was somebody who was a witness of Christ's ministry from the beginning to the end. They saw everything Jesus did. They lived with Jesus. They stayed in the same room with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They learned how to minister with Jesus. They went hungry with Jesus. They went through storms with Jesus. They got persecuted with Jesus. They saw Jesus transfigured. They saw Jesus humiliated. That's what an apostle is. So these so-called apostles that we see today, you can put an X in front of that church. You don't have to go there. And this letter is written to us by Peter, an apostle, not just an apostle, the leader of the apostles. Every time that the apostles are mentioned, Peter's name is first. And we'll note that it wasn't Peter who wrote that, so it wasn't him giving himself that honor. It was Matthew who gave him that honor. It was Mark who gave him that honor. It was Luke who gave him that honor. It was John who was beloved by Jesus, Jesus' best friend who gave Peter that honor. He didn't give himself that. God gave him that. Who was he writing to? Well, look what it says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. What does that mean? Well, elect means chosen by God, and we, we, you know, we could be happy about that, but look at the next two terms, exiles and dispersion. That's not good. What's an exile? <clears throat> Somebody who's separated and isolated from the world. They got kicked out of their own country. Dispersion, somebody who's scattered. These believers were scattered because of the persecution. They couldn't stay in one place because when they did stay in one place, people would attack them. And he writes to them and he says, according to three things, foreknowledge, sanctification, and obedience and sprinkling. He writes to these saints and he says, you guys are elect according to what? The foreknowledge of God. What's foreknowledge? That's not just knowledge. That's the power to determine what happens. Sanctification, they've been made separate and distinct. Obedience by sprinkling, well, that was an Old Testament rite, where when they received the commands of Moses, Moses took the blood and sprinkled them. And they were considered to be God's people because the blood had been sprinkled on them. Well, these people have been sprinkled, but not with the blood of a lamb, but with the blood of Christ. And then he associates each person of the Godhead with these things. And I know some people think the Trinity is complex. And if it is complex to you, as you study and learn God's truth, it will become more and more understandable to you. There are some things that are difficult in God's word, but you simply have to trust him, and he will continue to show you what's true. And he says... Foreknowledge is associated with the Father because the Father has planned whatever occurs. Nothing surprises him. The Spirit is the one that makes us special. He sanctifies us because he gifts us. 
He fills us. There's no way for you to be like somebody else when God gives you a unique gift that nobody else got. There's no way for you to be like the world when you're filled with the Spirit of God and they're not. And then the Son saves us with his blood. And all this is so that grace and peace may be multiplied. God's power that we don't deserve is multiplied, and peace is multiplied. Now let's get into the keys of victory, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's interesting. Because he doesn't just say God the Father, he says the Father of Jesus Christ. And from this we get this. That God is blessed, yes, but we can only know God in relation to Jesus Christ. Peter does not want us to think we can come to God without Jesus. If you want to come to God without Jesus, be a Muslim. If you want to try to approach God without Jesus, you could stay a Jew. Because they don't believe in Jesus. And the Muslims think Jesus was just a good man. And the Buddhists think, yeah, he was wise, but he's not God. And you could separate Christianity from any other religion because they all think you can approach God without Jesus. And we say Jesus is the only way, the truth, the life. That's what separates us from all the other religions. And what has he done for us? He's caused us to be born again. And the thing about it is, when you talk about 1 Peter, you start to learn something new about salvation that maybe you didn't learn anywhere else in Scripture. And that's this. That salvation has three parts. The first part of salvation is when he first saved you and you become a new creature. And that's a glorious thing, isn't it? When you see somebody saved and they go from being one person to a completely different person, you got to say, man, that's God. No other religion can claim that. But the second part is, that after God saved you, he don't leave you alone. He continues to save you. And what I mean by that is he protects you. It says nobody can take you out of the Father's hand. You can't lose your salvation, not because he just gave it to you. No, it's because he's protecting it. He's protecting it, even from you. You might want to keep on sinning. You might want to give up, and God has not given up. Because he's holding on to you. But then the third part of salvation, which is the key of this section, is that he has a salvation waiting for us in heaven. And you know what I'm going to call that hope. And when we talk about hope in the scriptures, we're not talking about I hope it don't rain tomorrow. I hope to do good on the play, September 7th. And 8th and 14th. I hope to know my lines. I hope we don't mess up. Because there's uncertainty in that. But the hope of the scripture is based on the promises of God. And God cannot lie and he cannot fail. So when he promises you something, it is guaranteed. So scripture's hope is different than any other kind of hope. 
And what kind of hope do we have? The hope is in our inheritance. It's called imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Right? Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What is imperishable? That means it can't be attacked, can't be destroyed. Undefiled is never impure. It maintains its purity. Unfading, it stays as brilliant today as it will be tomorrow, as it was the day before. By unfading, I think of when you get to heaven and you take a bite of an apple, it's not going to be like the bite of an apple now. Because when you bite the apple, the first bite is the best. But when you get into heaven, the first bite is the best, and the second bite is the best, and the third bite is the best. And there's no amount of experience that can make what you experience first less, and no amount of joy that can make what you're about to experience less. That's what it means by unfading. And what I'm telling you is a mystery that should hopefully calm your mind about heaven. Because we often think, man, how can God make things so good? But he said it's unfading. That means it will be equally brilliant the first day we get there as it will be the millionth day we're there. We'll be there, there 10 billion years and we'll still be looking forward to what we're about to see. Because that's how good heaven is. And when I talk about heaven, you'll notice he says, kept in heaven for you. God protects our inheritance. It's in heaven with him. But then it says, who by God's power are being guarded. God protects us. So God protects our inheritance and God protects us until they're brought together. It's not like the inheritance that you have on earth. If you know somebody that's rich, they could use up all their money and the person that is supposed to inherit it could inherit it nothing. Or they could give it away to somebody else. They could write somebody out their will. But with God, the inheritance is promised. And with God, the inheritor is promised. And together they come and it's inevitable that you will receive what's promised. And this causes us to rejoice in verse 6. It says, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. And that's an interesting passage. Now, somebody mistake this passage. Sometimes you go to certain churches, they will mistake this passage. Because they will say things like, we not unhappy, we not sad, we never sad. Well, that's a lie. We can all be sad. We can all go through ups and downs. Sometimes we could be happy while we sad. This is what this passage means. This passage is not saying that we are happy and we sad, go through ups and downs. What it's saying is we can be happy while we're sad. And what it means is we are conflicted on this earth. We know God is good, but we see bad things happen. We know God is taking a believer to heaven, but we sad when they die. So we could be happy and sad at the same time, can't we? And what happens is, as we're happy and sad at the same time, we start to ask ourselves, why we got to go through this sadness? Why, God? Why? Why must there be trials? And Peter answers that question. But I'm going to give a few illustrations. Because I was reading about this online. The 
they made what they called a perfect biodome. So what by that I mean they made this glass dome. And in it they provided the perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect amount of water, the perfect minerals, and they planted trees there, they put animals in there, and they put humans in there. And what happened? The trees died. The trees all died. And the people who was doing a study was amazed. They said, we just made paradise and the trees died. Why? And what they learned was this. If the trees don't fight against the wind, they don't grow strong. And they don't learn how to stand. The trees need wind to grow. And I was driving down the road the other day, and it was a terrible wind, and a branch just fell out of nowhere and flew right in front of all these cars. And I thought to myself, man, wind is the enemy of a tree. But this study is showing us that difficulty makes the tree strong. It may lose a few branches, but it's still standing. It's standing because it has gone through difficulties. Then, there are trees who get burned in forest fires. But did you know that God made certain trees that won't even distribute their seeds unless they get burned? In other words, they won't even give new life unless they go through fire. And do you know this? that you can't have a victory without an opponent. And what all this tells us is this, God raises challenges to write stories of victory. Without Haman, there is no Esther. Without Ruth being a widow, there is no book of Ruth. Without Pharaoh, there is no Moses. Without Peter denying Christ three times, we would not marvel at God's forgiveness and Peter's later leadership. And without Judas, there is no cross. God likes to bring difficulties so that he could bring the biggest victory. So when we ask ourselves, why are we facing things of difficulty? It is because he is refining us he is teaching us how to stand. And every time we have victory, it's a testimony to him. That's why many of you are saved from something terrible. You come and you give these testimonies and we all marvel. Why do we marvel? Because we say, God, I can see what you did now. But when you was addicted to drugs, you didn't see that. When you was in an abusive relationship, you didn't see that. When you was homeless, you didn't see that. But now you see what God was doing. He saved you from that so that that testimony could go out to others. And so we rejoice. And when we rejoice, it leads us to understanding this. We rejoice because we have from God what had been promised throughout the whole Old Testament. Right? The prophets, men wiser and more holy than us, 
barely understood what they were seeing. They had glimpses and pictures. But God put it all together for us. And not only that, he gave us preachers and apostles in the New Testament to make it clear to us. And so we praise him all the more. And that becomes our hope. Hope is the first key to victory. But the second key to victory is holiness. Let's read verse 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, the first thing he says is preparing your minds for actions. We have to be ready to be on the battlefield of the mind. As Christians, we're not going to so much face attacks by somebody randomly throwing a punch at us. No, what we're going to do is we're going to have the question of, are we going to be sober-minded with God or are we going to be drunk with the world's philosophies? Are we thinking about today or are we setting our hope on the future revelation of grace? And what he says is this, if you want to live victorious today, you've got to learn how to look further ahead. Look so far ahead that you look to when Christ returns. That's the key. It's not so much that we have more faith and we just go like this, and I'm going to believe harder. And I'm going to hope harder. No. It's the constant discipline of reminding us that we will see God face to face. That's what increases our faith. That's what increases our hope. And when we see God face to face, what is he going to say to us? He's going to say, be holy as I am holy. Now, what's holiness? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because nobody can explain holiness in just one word. It's almost like you have to use a paragraph to describe it. When I think about holiness, what I start to realize is this. That holiness is something that's special to God. It's unique to God. The angel said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in Revelation it said, holy, holy, holy is he who sits on the throne. And what it basically says is this, that holiness, that's something that's only God's. But you know, the Bible also describes other things as holy. God describes the priest as holy. You say, how can they be holy? Because they only work for God. How can we be holy? If we dedicate ourselves to only doing God's work. God called certain fragrances holy. Why? Because they was only used in the temple. God called certain tools holy. Because they was only used in his temple. And God will only call people holy if they set themselves apart only for his use. So he says in verse 17, and if you call on him, now that's a big if, isn't it? If you call on him. See, the Bible challenges you. It don't accept that you disbelieve in him. He say if. People always say, well, you know, you should just take me on my word. The Bible don't. If you call on him. 
As father, there's three things. First of all, you got to know who he is. He's an impartial judge. He don't care who you are. He don't care about your excuse. He holds everybody accountable. Isn't that what it says? Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. The second thing you got to know about him, if you call on him, know that he bought you. Because knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers. And what he's basically saying is human culture itself needs to be rejected. But then the third thing we need to know about him is we got to know his nature, we got to know he bought us, and we got to know he didn't buy us cheaply. He bought us with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you he bought us with Jesus and he always planned to buy us with Jesus and when he bought us with Jesus he didn't reveal it until now but he reveals it for our own sake the other thing about holiness is in verse 22 we can get a little confused by this phrase he says at the beginning, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. What is he saying about that? Well, that's just another way of saying since you've been saved. Right? Since you've been saved. Since your soul has been purified, when does that happen? When you get saved. Obedience to the truth, when you obey the truth, when you got saved. For sincere brotherly love, when that happened, when you got saved. When you get saved, love one another from a pure heart. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The only time you have a pure heart is when you get saved. And without a pure heart, it's impossible to love one another. Because the world is always looking for advantages. You have friends because they give you some kind of advantage. We can only love each other from a pure heart because we have God. Right? It's possible for me to love with a pure heart women who are not my wife if I don't lust for them. That's what makes incest such a terrible sin. Because what it basically means is this. God set this person in your house for you to have a sibling relationship with, and you tainted it. What should be a pure relationship is now tainted. That shouldn't even be on your mind. Right? And so when I talk to my sister, that's not in anywhere in my mind. But what happens, what is in my mind is protecting my sister, loving my sister, thinking the best for my sister. And that's how it should be to all the saints. But if we think of ways of how we can take advantage of the other person, we just like somebody whose brother is trying to get with somebody's sister. We are no better. Only when we have pure hearts can we love one another. Because if we always thinking about what advantage we're going to get, we just like the world. And he says, this pure heart is possible because you've been born again. And you've been born again, not a perishable seed. What does he mean by that? Not by the flesh, but by the spirit, by the word of God. The word of God that he says, all flesh is like grass. And all grass dies. But the word of God abides forever. And when God's word is in your heart, you abide forever. The purity in your soul should abide forever. 
And when you have this purity, you should therefore love your brother and your sister. Therefore, put away all malice. Put away all deceit. Put away all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. I get tired of when I come to people and I talk to people in the church and I know they got a scheme. They saying one thing and they mean another. They pretending to ask me a question and they got different motives. Don't come into church with that. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Those are the things that people do when they come into the world. They ask a question so they can tell somebody else something that sounds bad about you. But that shouldn't be like that in a church. They say something to deceive. They paint a picture. They seem like they like politicians because all they care about is spinning the truth. I was late. Well, I wasn't late. It was so much that, um, you know, uh, there was an accident in front of me. And there was rain. And then my car broke down. Five days in a row? But they always trying to spin things to make them look better. And in church, we shouldn't be spinning things. A lot of people come to church and they try to look good. That's kind of one reason why I almost wish people didn't come to church looking good. I wish they would just come to church with their jeans on or whatever they normally wear. Because when people come to church like that, I feel that it's a a sign of the soul sometimes when people try to look better than they really are. And it starts to become a spiritual condition where they start to dress themselves up and they put on a tie of a lie. And they go into church. I love my wife. And then they get home and they cussing. And we all want to pretend we don't see that. That's why I just tell them, hey man, I see that. You mean, Brian? Well, what's meaner? Pretending that I don't see the fire that's in your house? Or pointing it out? We have to be simple in our approach. And what I mean by that is we have too many schemes, too many ways of approaching a matter when it simply should be I'm honest. This is what's in my heart. What's in your heart? Tell me the truth. Not how can I make what I just did seem better? How can I make myself sound holy? I hate people coming to church, glory to God, brother, this and that. Do you talk like that at home? Because if you don't, be quiet, please. Because I preach and I don't talk like that. And I know you ain't holier than me, so why are you trying to talk holier than me? And do you think that talk somehow reverses itself and touches the soul that makes you more pure? It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by you may grow up in the salvation. Now, again, this is not talking about the initial salvation, right? We got to know salvation in Peter comes in three parts. What are those three parts? The first time you get saved, the protective salvation that goes from the beginning to the end, and when you finally get to heaven, that's salvation. And so he says, may grow up in the salvation. He's not talking about, well, you got to earn salvation by learning the word. No, he's talking about as you grow up, you will eventually get to heaven you will achieve the goal that God has set for you. 
He said, long for the pure, pure spiritual milk. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I'm going to tell you the Lord is good. So if you tasted that he ain't, you didn't taste the Lord. And Jeremy was alluding to this in Sunday school. People who say, well, I tasted the Lord, but it didn't change my life. No, you didn't. I'm going to call you a liar right there. Oh, you mean. Well, yeah, I mean. Because the Holy Spirit is calling you a liar. You cannot claim to have the God of the universe and you and still live in the same raggedy life. No different than when you came in. And you want me to pretend. With you. I'm not going to be caught up in your lie. You lie by yourself. I'm going to be talking about the truth. I'm going to walk in the light. And if you want to walk in various shadows, you could be clever if you want. I'm going to be simple. I believe this. We try to be too many things. We go to work and we try to be a good worker. We go home and we try to be a good husband or a good father. We go to church and we try to be a good musician or good whatever we do here. But we ought to need to throw away all those roles and say, I am going to be a man or woman of God. And all your various roles will be met. But we put on too many roles. We act like we got different plays that we starring in. Love one another. It's the key of holiness. And the last key is this. We are part of something that's bigger than ourselves. That's the last key. Unity is the key to victory. Look what he says here. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now he then goes on to describe Jesus Christ, and let's first focus on Jesus, okay? And then we'll talk about us. And that's the way we always should do it, isn't it? When we talk about Jesus, what is Jesus? Jesus is a living stone. Jesus is a piece of God's building that continues to grow. It's not static. And what he means is he continues to explain that is that when God put Jesus on the earth, many rejected him and many continue to reject him. They mistake what God did. God said, this is my precious son in whom I am well pleased. And other people say, Christianity, that's old-fashioned. They got every excuse under the book not to follow Jesus. And so they stumble over Jesus. Many people stumble because they think they should have to earn salvation and they don't understand that it's a free gift. They don't understand all these different things about Christianity, so they stumble. They don't just take God's word as face value. So Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the centerpiece of what we're being built on. But then he starts to describe us, and look how he describes us. He says... You yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And then look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once, verse 10, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have received mercy, but now you have 
You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you be a priesthood by yourself? Can you be a holy nation by yourself? Can you be a peoples by yourself? All of these things say this, that what we are independently, we are even more when we're together. In other words, in Bible math, 10 believers does not equal 10. If you add up all the 10 believers, it don't just equal 10. It equals more because now we become the church. God adds more to us as we are united than the individual parts would be. God is building something. So he says, as you come to him, you are being built into what? Into a temple. Just like each individual rock. It could be a nice rock. But the rocks together make a temple is way better than a rock that you just see sitting on a hill. One person who studies God's word is cool. But a whole priesthood, now that's a whole different thing. And what he's saying is, he is building something greater out of us than we will ever be individually. That's the third key. First key was hope. Second key was holiness. The third key is unity. Now I want to wrap this up with a few things. You got to remember that we are all exiles, just like Peter wrote. He said, to the exiles. And the reason that we can read this letter and say, man, that applies to me. I see myself in there because we should consider ourselves to be exiles. And let me say this. Don't consider yourself a citizen of this earth. Because then you will be invested in the things of this earth. And you will think that you need to live for the things of this earth. You need to consider that your home is in heaven. And that you're just staying here for a short time. You have to remember that there are three parts of salvation. Salvation happens when we first get saved. But God doesn't leave us alone. He continues to protect us. And at the very end, he will save us again when he rescues us from this earth, from death, and he delivers us to heaven. That's the three parts of salvation. And then we have a message to deliver to this world. I was looking at some psychology. And they described nine aspects of hopelessness. And I looked at it and I read it and I kept on reading it. And look what the, the, the hopelessness, nine aspects. The first one is alienation. The other one is feeling forsaken. That's a form of hopelessness. The other one is being uninspired. The fourth one is being powerless. The fifth one is being oppressed. The sixth one is feeling limited. The seventh one is being doomed. The eighth one is being in captivity. And the ninth one is feeling helpless. Those are the different aspects of hopelessness. And I thought about that. And you know what? This world's suicide rate is continuing to go up. The murder rate is going up. And I... I don't see how there's a big difference between overdosing and drugs and suicide. That's going up. People who overdose and drugs is going up. People who have STDs, that's going up. 
people who have children out of wedlock. To me, that's just like telling your kids to put a bullet in their hand. That is going up. And what we get from that is society has lost hope. They feel alienated. They feel forsaken. They're uninspired. They're powerless. They're oppressed. They're limited. They're doomed. They feel captive. They are helpless. And then I think about what Jesus did for us. Because for our sake, he became alienated. For our sake, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? He looked like he was in a hopeless situation. But then I think about us. And we have an answer to every single one of these aspects of hopelessness. If you are alienated, join the church. If you are forsaken, you have a God that is always with you. If you are uninspired, you can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you are powerless, you have access to God's power. If you are oppressed, you have God having victory over the oppressor. If you feel limited, you have access to God. If you feel doomed, you have been given salvation. If you feel captive to something, God offers freedom. If you feel helpless, God gives us the helper. We have hope where the world does not. And where is our hope lying in? It's in Jesus. He's the one who sprinkles us with his blood and cleanses us. He is a stone that the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone. What they could see no good out of, God said, I choose that to build the most magnificent building." What men looked at and despised became our salvation. You can never go bad focusing on Jesus. The scripture says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. Help us to focus on you. We say, Lord, and we sometimes forget that that means we need to obey you. What a friend we have in Jesus, but what a Lord we have in Jesus. He is our master. You are our master, Lord. You don't play games with us. You expect results out of us. You said that some people say you are a hard man because you expect results out of every single one of your servants. You expect us all to produce. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us these gifts. You entrusted each of us with different gifts, with different things, as you expect us to produce. But more than that, Lord, you say simply just look at me and you will grow in your spiritual power. Look at me and the things that you experience today, you will have the key and the answer to. And to a world that's hopeless, you offer hope. To a world that's wicked, you give us holiness. To a world that feels alone, you give us the unity of the church. And so we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen.